Good morning. So we're looking to foundations today, and we all have foundations. And before you think it, as some of you might be thinking, yes, this is a different parable than what Jessica taught on in the children's message, and that is okay, and that was purposed. Jessica and I were talking about all the different parables. There are all the different teachings of Jesus, and just wishing there was a way that we could have you hear more of them. So we decided to let, G- let Jessica just pick whatever she wanted, and I'll pick whatever I wanted, and that way you can get two for the price of one. Doesn't everybody like two for the price of one? Yes. So today we are looking to foundations. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, 46 to 49. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. As we continue to look to the conversationalists, very short stories, the parables and teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the best conversationalist, the best storyteller, the best teller of parables and illustrations because he is the one with all knowledge. And he is the one we look to to see how do we live? What choices do we make? How are we to to make choices in a world full of sin? And we look today to Luke 6, 46 to 49. In this Luke 6, or you can also talk about Matthew 5, you see some of Jesus' best-known sermons or messages. You see what some have called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain here in Luke. And you also see one of his most well-known parables as well. The parable of the two builders. Now Jesus opened up this sermon, this series of, di- of stories and teachings, with the description of blessings to those who belong to the kingdom of God, those who follow after him and his righteousness. But then he also gave a warning to those who have not yet entered into the kingdom of God by professing their faith in him. Jesus described how his disciples are to live. How are they to speak? How are they to forgive How are they to judge or not judge? How are they to look to their own fruits of their own life, to their own actions? And finally, like any good preacher, he gives us some great applications for our own lives and for their lives that day as well. Jesus challenged his disciples to examine whether their discipleship was genuine or fake. Was it all for show or was it real? And that's what we're looking to these two builders today. And you also see the consequences of not truly having a firm foundation, not truly having a firm profession of faith in a way which you obey God, obey his ways, and trust in his promises. Let's read from Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. I have it on the screen here, but again, as always, I encourage you to bring your own Bibles. It's so much better for you to bring your own Bibles where you can flip through and you can have scripture memory knowing where books are. And that way when you really need these scriptures, you know how to navigate through the word of God to find what God wants you to see. If you don't have a Bible, we have pews, pew Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take one of those pew Bibles home or see me and I will make sure that you get a Bible. In fact, in the coming weeks, we should be getting some new ESV pew Bibles Um, So we might have some extras to give away anyways. Let's read now. Luke 6, 46 to 49, we read this great parable, great story, great illustration. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house, and it could not shake it, 
because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, or as Matthew says, built it on the sand. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Thank you. You're welcome to keep that opened up in your lap if you have a Bible open, and that way you can continue to look down at it as we move forward in our slides. But here Jesus uses an illustration about good builders and bad builders, about wise builders and about foolish builders, and this demonstrates to us the life of a genuine disciple who lives a lifestyle which imitates or, or looks like the life of Christ. But then we also have the life of a disciple who's not obeying the words of Christ. And what are the consequences of that? What is the consequences of maybe looking like a disciple, professing that you believe in Christ, but not truly professing in a way that you see him as Lord? Today we see that a profession of faith void of obedience is worthless. Let me say that again for you. A profession of faith without obedience is worthless. In fact, let me have you repeat that after me. A profession of faith without obedience is worthless. You see, a life built on anything but Jesus Christ in obedience to his teachings, his ways, and the word of God will ultimately fail. That's one of the big ideas of this message today and what you see from the scripture, that a life built on anything but Jesus Christ, obedience to his teachings, his ways, and the word of God will ultimately fail. Or as we said, a profession of faith without obedience is worthless. Now, it doesn't mean that one's not saved, but if you are truly saved, there should be obedience that goes along with it. Especially when troubles come, it's necessary to obey him. Now, you saw that little video intro to the sermon, which illustrated that. That the house built on solid ground stays standing, but the house built on sand gets washed away when the storms come. We'll talk about that more later, but in our reading today, we see one, a builder, who knows well how to build a house to stand the test of time and to stand up against the storms. But then we see one, another builder, one who does not care or he does not know how to build a house to stand against such storms. We see one which builds on a solid rock and we see one that builds upon sand or no foundation at all. One which will stand the test of time and one that will not stand the test of time. Or today in the story, we will see three things. We see Jesus give a question. We see that he asks a question. We see that he then gives a powerful story or illustration. And then we see that he delivers a life-penetrating application. I'm sorry, he gives, he gives a question. Boy, I'm getting tongue-tied. He asks a question. He gives a powerful story, and then he delivers a penetrating application. I wanted it said in that way specifically because I think that Jesus does ask, give, and deliver to us as well. Jesus asks many things of us today as well. Jesus gives many things to us today as well. Jesus delivers many things to us today as well. But do we listen? Do we obey? Do we apply it to our life? Do we trust? Do we follow his ways? Do we follow his promises? Do we trust in him? Are we a disciple, a true disciple who obeys, follows him, and remembers his promises? Or are we just all for show? 
So we see, number one, Jesus asks a personal question. Jesus is asking this crowd a question. Jesus asks us a question. Jesus gives the crowd something to consider. And in verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Or maybe as he's sitting on this plain, on this hilltop, on this mount, this sermon, maybe he's kneeling on a rock. Maybe he's standing there just talking to the people, arms stretch out. Maybe he's just talking more casually. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And then he goes on to this lesson here. You see, Jesus had many followers at this point. He's early on in his ministry, but Luke tells us in 6.17 that he was preaching the sermon to 12 apostles, a great crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and other villages nearby. He had many crowds following him. It could have been hundreds, but also could have been thousands. We don't know the exact number, but we do know that he had a variety of people. Now, I also see this, this, um, this specification even there that there's the 12 apostles. There's a great crowd of his disciples, but then it also gives this difference of and a great multitude of other people. Meaning, I don't think they're all disciples. They're not all true disciples. They're not all the apostles. There's a great multitude of people, some of which know him truly as Lord, and some which are professing Lord, Lord, as they follow him around, but they're not really responding to the right type of Lord. They're not picturing him as the true Lord that he is. I think of people as following around Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, pleading with them, Lord, Lord, please take a moment and heal me, heal my baby, heal the sick. Lord, Lord, speak some more truth to me. Lord, Lord, save me. There's two types of lords, you see. There's the Lord that maybe as you're watching an older movie or a movie, maybe it's a newer movie that takes place in an older time frame, or maybe it's reading a book and it's referring to somebody as master or Lord, and it's generally somebody that's superior to them or seen as superior to them, or a boss or a king or the Lord of the household. But then there's the Lord, which means in supreme authority. God is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And when we're calling Jesus Lord, it means he is supreme in authority. And the people following Jesus here using this title are affirming his supreme authority and even his deity. Even if they don't know it, that's what they are doing because that's who he is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is supreme authority. He knows all things, and he's giving this great wisdom to his people who are following him. But I don't think that these people, some of them, are not true disciples. And as they, they follow him saying, Lord, Lord, they're not looking for all Jesus has to offer. They're not looking to truly obey all of Christ's teachings. They're saying, Lord, Lord, and they just want the temporary satisfactions, the temporary gratifications of the day. They just want the healings. They want the miracles. They want teachings. They want a Savior. But they want one that doesn't affect their daily living. Now, again, this isn't all of them. Some of them are the 12 apostles. Some of them are a great crowd of his disciples. But then you have the multitude. And even the greatest of disciples, even the greatest of apostles, even us, all of us, no matter who we are, where we are, we need to hear this to apply it to our lives too. We need to see that as we cry out, Lord, Lord, we're not supposed to just look for the temporary gratifications of the day, 
the temporary satisfactions of the day. We're supposed to obey all of his word. We're supposed to trust in him fully. We're supposed to submit to him fully and trust in his promises. And these are the things which a good builder does. This is how that house stands true. So Jesus asked bluntly, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And we can ask ourselves this question today as well. Number two, Jesus next tells a powerful story to help them to understand the consequences of not doing what he's telling them to do. Now, Jesus gives this powerful story, this illustration comparing two builders. Two builders. Again, one good and wise, and one bad and foolish. And to help you understand where he's coming from, Jesus himself was a builder. Jesus himself was, was said to be a carpenter, and he comes from a family with a father that was also a carpenter. And that's illustrated to us in Matthew 13 and Mark 6, as well as other locations. So Jesus, when he's talking about building, he knew what he was talking about. He's using his personal, his personal story, his life story, to help illustrate a fact of the kingdom of God. And a little side note here, I think that we too need to use our testimony, our stories, the things within our life, the things around us, to also be a testimony of the kingdom of God and kingdom living. So many of us, we say every day, well, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know the word of God as well as Pastor Eldon or Pastor Patrick or some of these deacons or some of these people, some of these lay ministers of the church. But that doesn't matter. You have a story you have a testimony, and you can use your testimony to glorify God and tell people about kingdom living, to tell people about the good news of Jesus. So what if you don't have the Bible memorized? Neither do I. But you know what I do have? I have new life in him, and I can use this to tell people about kingdom living. Every single day, our lives are changing to be more like him, and you can tell people about how your life is changing to be more like him. You can tell people about how great it is. Yes, we can tell people about our cause, our, our, our different arguments for the evidence of God and for creation and for there being a one true God, but we can also just tell them about the life that God's given us, the joy that he's given us, the Holy Spirit that we have within us. That's enough of a side note, though. We'll get more to that later. You see, we, we see first Jesus goes into describing a good and wise builder and in verse 48, he says, The good builder is a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. So here we see this first builder. We see a man who wants to build a house. A man like Tim Jacobson. Oh boy, Tim is a good builder. Kathy's not laughing, so I think that's true. He puts a lot of thought into building his house. He's going to get some blueprints. He's going to call an inspector. He's going to make sure that he's doing everything right. In fact, he might even have that inspector check the ground out to make sure that where are the solid spots of the ground to build upon? Where are the soft spots? You don't want to build upon a spot that has a, a cavern 10 feet underneath and your house is just going to cave and fall down into the ground and be sunk in, especially when you're building next to a lake, right, Tim? You see, a good builder puts thought into the plan. He plans appropriately to build a good home, a strong home, one which will stand the test of time against storms, against floods, and against family and kids who cause floods in houses. 
He calls inspectors. He looks at the ground. He looks for wires in the ground. He looks for pipes in the ground. You don't want to burst that gas pipe. You don't want to cut into anything you shouldn't. But most importantly, he looks to make sure that that house is going to have a good foundation to stand strong. You don't want to, you've, you've probably seen some of these older farmhouses that due to age or due to not being built well, you walk in that house and immediately you feel like the foundation's just not level. And you're walking one room's level, one room's kind of off a little bit. Hopefully it's not that bad. This man, this good worker, exerts a lot of effort into building a strong, good home. He doesn't cut corners. He doesn't use cheap or less quality of materials all the way till the end. He puts forth all of his effort to do it right. And scripture tells us that he would not be satisfied with a shallow foundation. Scripture says he dug deep. In fact, he dug so deep that he laid the foundation on the rock. Now, some of you are looking at these pictures behind us, behind me. Have you ever seen a, a picture or an aerial photo or video, maybe of after a hurricane. I know Mr. Lee there, he's been to these, these counties, these lakeside, these oceanside villages and cities where there's been a hurricane, or maybe it's been a tornado. I think of Elk Mound the other year after the tornado, and you're looking at the damage done, and you just see all these houses washed away, or you see these houses which tornadoes just, just completely left in shambles and destroyed. But then you see this one house left standing. And isn't it just amazing? You think to yourself, either A, boy, that person just had the grace and mercy of God. God caused the floods, the waters, the winds, the storms to go around it. Or you can also see in both are valid points, wow, that house must have had a good builder like Mr. Tim over there. And, you know, I'm not a betting man, but I would bet if I was a betting man that you'd say, Next house I build or when I rebuild my house that was there, I'm calling Mr. Tim. I'm calling that good builder to build my house because, whoo, look at that house. It's still standing. It doesn't even look like it got touched. You see, we have a good builder who puts in thought to build the good house. And Jesus says when this storm comes, because the storms do come, he says when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house, but it could not shake it because it had been well built. But next we see the opposite. Next we see number two of number, of number two, two B. We see Jesus describes a bad builder, a foolish builder, a builder which is said to build without a foundation, no solid rock to stand upon, upon the sand. And this other side of this picture helps illustrate what happens there. Now sometimes, obviously this is just an idea, sometimes you can have the best of foundations and your house will still get washed away in the storm. But when we're talking about our lives, which is what we're really doing, when our lives are based upon the solid rock of Christ, we may face many storms, but we'll come out still standing. And we'll stand the test of time until we're in the presence of God. But here we have the bad builder. We have the builder who wanted to build a house, but he did not want to go through all that hard work that Mr. Tim did. Or Mr. Eldon did as he built that cabin, and it took him a couple years cutting down trees. We think, I just want a house built. Just give me some wood. We don't need to pour any concrete. Let's just put up some wood. A level? Why do we need a level? Measuring tape? No, we don't need any of that. Let's just put up some walls. Because we want it now. Guys, this is how a lot of us live. We say, I want it now. 
This is how a lot of society lives. They think, I want it now. I don't need to wait till I'm married to have sex. I don't need to wait till I'm married to live together. I don't need to wait till I'm married to have kids or have a family. I don't need to, to wait till I'm old enough to, and responsible enough to drink alcohol. I don't need to obey God's righteous word, which tells us how to properly live. I don't need to avoid gossiping. They deserve it. I don't need to avoid forgiving people or talk nice to people. If they're mean to me, I'm going to be mean to them back. We could go on and on of scriptural applications, but we need to live according to the righteous ways of God and not making up our own ways or molding ourselves into the world. We're supposed to mold ourselves into the ways of Christ. And you know what? I just said a fallacy there. We're not molding ourselves into Christ. God is molding us into Christ. The Holy Spirit is molding us into Christ. But next we move forward. You see, this second man would build a house that would not stand the test of time. So we move forward, and we see Jesus deliver the life-penetrating application. The test eventually comes to this man's house too. And Luke 6, 49 then says, When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You see, tests come, struggles come. They always come. They will come. Will you be prepared? Will our lives stand the test of time? There are many broken homes today. And in many different ways, there's broken homes with no fathers in the home or they're in the homes where they're not leading their families as they should. There's broken homes with no mothers in their home. There's broken homes with no kids in the home. And because that, maybe, maybe they, they want kids and they can't have kids and they're allowing this to control their actions and just live in spitefulness to one another or to God. There's homes, there's many different broken homes who are not obeying the words of God, not trusting in his promises. Or maybe they say that they profess in Christ. And maybe they, they try to obey God's word and how they live. And they think, I'm living a good life. But the one thing they fail to do is remember the promises of God. To allow them to stand strong when those storms hit. Instead of keep breaking down, breaking down more and more into shambles, into pieces. And being washed away, you just have to put yourself back together. Because if you truly obey God and you trust in his word, you trust in his life, his sacrificed life on the cross. You trust in his promises to give you the Holy Spirit within you, to equip you, to empower you to help you to understand God's word, to help you to communicate with him. You see, these things help you to make it through these storms of life. But enough, back to my notes. You see, the house that had no foundation was not built to withstand the stormy weathers, the floods, and it was ultimately washed away. It was destroyed. It had fallen like that picture we saw. But I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, and I'm just going to assume you, you can write notes in your head really good in your memory. So I want you to write this down in your memory. A good house, one found still standing after all the storms, will have a solid foundation. Our homes, our houses, our lives must stand strongly upon the word of God. His promises and his ways if we were to stay standing through the storms of life. Because it's not a matter of if the storms will hit. Having Christ, obeying Christ, remembering his word, remembering his ways, obeying the ways, submitting to him in his ways, truly saying, Lord, Lord, and not having Jesus say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not 
not do the things I tell you, but saying, Lord, Lord, I will do the things I tell you. It doesn't mean that the storms are going to cease. It doesn't mean that the storms are not going to hit. The storms will hit. But Jesus will help you through the storm. The Holy Spirit within you will help you through the storm. Our houses, our lives must stand strongly upon the Word of God. His promises and His ways, if we are to stay standing through the storms of life and not break. Now the good news is, no matter how broken your homes are, no matter how broken your friend's home is, no matter how broken the homes are around Bloomer or Wisconsin or the world, the United States or the world, they can be put back together. But they need to be put back together through the life and actions of Jesus Christ. Not through the world's ways. Don't use the nails built, bought at Menards. They'll probably break on you or bend on you anyways. Use the nails of Christ. Use the nails that went into his hands. Use his life that was laid upon that cross for you. So that you can have a new life. A life built upon not the false identities of this world, the false things of this world, which will fail you, but built on the thing that will never fail you. A God who loves you so much that he wants and desires a relationship with you. So we get back to this, this story, this, and we see the life-penetrating application. You see, we see one house that stands. Why does this house stand? I mean, if we went back to the last that last slide, you'd see two houses on there. Both houses looked the same at the top of that screen. Both houses had windows. Both houses had roofs. Both houses had landscaping. They both looked the same. Sometimes two disciples, their lives might look the same, but the one thing that is different is that foundation. And they might both look the same until those storms come into their life. And when that storm comes, one stands true. One continues to live for Christ. One continues to remember his promises. And one lays it all behind him as he's washed away. I think of many saints, many people set apart by, the, by Christ. I think of many people in our life and in this church, and I'm sure you can too. You just think of them and you think, wow. Wow, look at everything that has hit them. All these storms, these illnesses, these, these diseases, these physical issues, emotional issues, these family issues, these marriage struggles, these job struggles, and yet you see they still stand strong. They don't let it bring them down. They don't let it destroy them. And it's because they have a firm foundation on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. You see, as a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, a follower of the truth, one must submit to the ways of truth and to righteous living. And despite what the world thinks, the only true way to find the truth is through Jesus Christ alone. And that is a way of righteous living, is through him. Now before I, wanna, I go further, I just wrote in here, I want to address one more thing. We're not talking about a works-based salvation. We're not talking about justification. Justification to be how we're saved. We are justified alone through our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And through his actions... We are saved. We must turn away from our sins, repent of our sins, and admit that we need a Savior. Trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and follow after him, obey him in his ways. Now, that's the next part. After we're justified, 
we start to being sanctified. And as you're sanctified, God is molding you continually, ever, always, to be more like Jesus. We're maturing in our faith, and there should be evidence of our new lifestyle, our new life in Him. We should have new choices, new actions, new words, new thoughts, which look more like Jesus. That doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have times in our life when we need somebody, a friend, a brother, or sister in Christ to come alongside us and give us a whack on the back of the head and say, look, pay attention, look, you're not living right. You need to look back to the Word of God, obey His ways. But what it is saying is that if you truly are saved, you're truly saying, Lord, Lord, and professing in this new salvation, this new Lord, you don't just say it when it sounds good. You say it every day and you obey his ways because there should be evidence of this new life in you. Remember his personal question in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? His disciples were making professions of faith. This multitude of crowds were saying, Lord, Lord. And yet he's kind of calling them and challenging them and saying, if you're saying, Lord, Lord, you need to really look to your life. Look to your thoughts, look to your words, look to your actions, and see, do you mean what you're saying? They were claiming to be disciples, followers of his, students of his. They were claiming to be justified, to be saved. They were claiming Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is challenging them in their profession. He's saying that you can distinguish between a person who calls Lord, Lord, and really means it and between somebody who doesn't. He's saying you can tell by their obedience. As he says, Lord, Lord, do what I tell you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's the difference. As one pastor once said, and I forget the name, he said, a justified disciple is always a sanctified disciple. A justified disciple is always a sanctified disciple. If you are a justified disciple, one who is justified through their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are always in an act of being sanctified. So I ask you, I ask myself, I ask all of us to consider the same question. When we're praying to God, when we're calling out to God, when we're yelling, Lord, Lord, and we're asking for all of our needs, for all of our wants, for all of our desires? Are we seeing Jesus as Lord, meaning supreme authority over our life? Or are we just looking to him as some of the crowd did for those temporary gratification desires? Because we see this application. Only one builder's house stays standing through the test of time, through the storms, through the floods, through the disasters. Only one life stays standing without being destroyed and washed away. And that's the life who puts their, the disciple who puts their life in Christ and totally trust in him, in his righteous ways. So as we work to give you some take-homes, the first application is this. A true disciple obeys Jesus and listens to God's promises. A true disciple obeys Jesus and listens to the promises of God. In verse 47, he says, Jesus says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. And then we see 
He is like a wise builder with a home which stands against the storms of life and floods, and he will be the one that gets to stand in the presence of God himself and be, be told, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you get to spend eternity with him. But then we have the bad one, the foolish one, the one that does not build his life upon God's word and obedience and trust in him. And he's the one that will be washed away to spend eternity in hell. Where are we? Where are we? The apostle John in 1 John 2, 3 says, And by this we know that we have come to him, if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. A true disciple stands the test of time when the storms of life come, because he stands strongly upon God's promises and ways. He stands through sickness, through sin, through suffering, through disappointments, through accidents, through mistreatments, through illness, through financial and marriage struggles, and more. Not because of who he was, but because of who he is and who he's becoming more like. Who he's submitting to as being in supreme authority over his life and his future. Who do you see the Lord Jesus as? What builder are you? There's two builders, a good and wise one and a bad and foolish one. Which builder are you? So then we have the second take home, the second application here. And we see that false disciples, bad and foolish disciples, do not follow Jesus as Lord. I think I've said it enough. I'll say it one more time just to beat it into your heads. This one does not stand the test of time, does not obey the word of God, does not submit to Jesus the Lord and follow his teachings and ways. This one cannot count on the promises of God to save him because he hasn't, he hasn't asked God yet to save him. He hasn't yet submitted to God and, uh, as Savior. This one will fall and be washed away with the storm. This foolish one will fall. Are we fools or are we wise? Are we good builders or are we bad builders? Are we listening to Jesus and obeying Jesus? Because Jesus says in verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them. So the bad builder does hear the truth, but he doesn't obey the truth. Versus the good builder hears the truth and obeys the truth, listens to his word, does his word. There's two different disciples here. Which disciples are we? 1 John 2, 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, that is Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. He truly does not know him. He knows of him, but he does not truly know him. Matthew 7, 23 tells us that this person will come into God's presence and be told, I never knew you. Depart from me. Or be seen as lukewarm and be spit out. As we conclude, I want us to look to the life of Job. God's great servant, Job, from the Old Testament. You see, this Job had an immense fortune, had an immensely great life, and yet all of a sudden he loses it all. Many of you know this story. If you don't, you can read it. But he lost his 7,000 sheep, his 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He lost many servants to attacks and catastrophes and tests and trials. He even lost all of his seven sons and his three daughters. He lost so much. But then we see in the end, Job's still standing. 
We see in the end, Job still praising God. He made it through the storms. He didn't get washed away. He didn't get handed over to Satan for all of eternity. And look how, how we see Job. Scripture tells us in Job, he continued to praise and glorify God. And in the end, Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job did not turn from God. Instead, he worshipped him. He trusted God even in the midst of his pain. And it doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. Again, struggles will come. Storms will hit hard. But we must keep trusting in the Lord, his promises, and follow and obey his ways. Trust in his promises. Live in his ways. Trust in his promises. Live in his ways. Say that together. Trust in his promises. Live in his ways. That's what we're called to do. Trust in his promises. Live in his ways. Live in obedience to his word. All of his word. One thing does not cover up another thing. All of his word, all of his commandments work together. And for his good and for the best of his people. Disciples. True disciples, the real disciples, they follow Jesus, all of Jesus. Let's close in prayer and then we'll have a song. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us your ways. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us salvation free and clear through you alone. Thank you for the understanding of your word and the Holy Spirit who helps us, empowers us, protects us, and equips us. Lord, right now I ask myself, I ask all of these people, Lord, for us just to consider what is our life looking like? When we cry out, Lord, Lord, are we seeing you as the supreme authority? Are we obeying you? Are we listening to you? Are we trusting you truly as Lord and Savior? Lord, I ask all of us to consider our sins, our actions, our words, our thoughts, and may we turn away from any disobedience and fully trust in you. May we make sure we have a real, true, and wise profession of faith, that we are the good and wise builders, building our lives around and on top of the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask then, Jesus, help us to live a life totally day by day in obedience to you and your words, your actions, your teachings. Lord Jesus, until the day you come again to bring us home, and every day after in your presence, may we praise your holy name and glorify you. May we remember your promises as we said to begin this service. May we know your word, know your truth. May we preach the word and may we live the word. May we trust in your promises, trust in your might, and trust in Christ, the solid rock, and stand. Stand the test of time. Stand through the storms. Stand through the floods until the day when your presence forevermore Amen.
Thank you. And as we depart, I ask you again to consider when Jesus says, Lord, Lord, to you, are you listening? Are you obeying? Are you submitting to him? Are you remembering his ways, his truth, and are you remembering his promises? As we close, I encourage you to stick around for Sunday school. If you've never been to Sunday school, today's a great day to start, and it keeps you from getting out into the ice just a little bit longer. Thank you.